In the interest of full disclosure, I must confess that the story I'm about to tell you is one that you have heard from this pulpit before, about a year and a half ago. And at some level, uh, that kind of feels like cheating or being lazy, repeating a story. But, you know, it fits the message I want to convey today, so I'm using it. (laughs) Still, I thought you should know in case you start feeling a sense of deja vu. (laughs) I remember once being stuck in a traffic jam on the streets of Dorchester in Boston during my year there as a priest. I was wearing my clericals. It was near twilight, and a thunderstorm was threatening but I still had the window down as my car slowly inched along the endless row of red brake lights in front of me towards the intersection. Far ahead, I could see a homeless man holding a cardboard sign, trying to engage the drivers and get some change. I steeled myself because by then I knew that wearing a collar marked me as a target. There had been many times, many times, when having said no to a request for change, I was told I wasn't a real Christian or that Jesus would have helped them. When the man finally saw me, his face brightened up. From about 30 feet away, he pointed at me and started shouting, Malachi chapter 2, verse 7, Malachi 2, 7, over and over and I had no clue what he was talking about. (laughs) But he was smiling and not scowling, so I figured I'd be okay. I nodded, pretending to know what he meant, waving my hand at him as if it were our little secret. He smiled even bigger. Malachi chapter two, verse seven. He shouted again, and I nodded vigorously and chuckled, hoping to not get caught in my ignorance and hoping that he wouldn't ask me for money. Finally, I got near enough to him that he cried out, Good evening, Pastor. Malachi, chapter 2, verse 7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And my eyes suddenly teared up. It felt as though this man had brought a message from God in a moment when I sorely needed it. I was feeling disrespected and dismissed by the rector in my job in Boston, miserable in my work, lonely, and a country away from William. But what I heard in that scripture passage he gave me was, remember that you are a messenger of the Lord of hosts, Ricardo, and don't give up. I have more in store for you than this. I nodded solemnly and thanked the man, and he smiled even bigger and said, You have a blessed day. Then he continued on down the line of cars. The job of priest, if done well, requires from you everything you have. And, you know, this past week, my creativity kind of tapped out. (laughs) December is the second busiest time of the year here at church, and this past January might have been maybe the fourth busiest, uh, what with preparing for the annual meeting and Candlemas last week and the capital campaign we are undertaking. So I kind of hit a wall last week, as it were, 
this messenger of the Lord of hosts, struggled to find a good word for you today. And I tell you this now, not because I want your pity. You know I always want your pity, though. (laughs) I tell you this because it's the truth. And, you know, I take this vocation very seriously. And it matters that you receive a word of instruction from God via this hobbled messenger. In seminary, I got some good advice from one of my preaching professors. She said, keep a file with inspiring quotes or stories that you come across over the years from newspapers or friends or that you hear at parties or what have you. And someday when your inspirational well runs dry, that file will serve you in good stead. Well, I actually followed her advice and today is the day it may bear fruit. (laughs) Here is what I do have. Today's readings all contain a message that is easy to understand, but oh so hard to practice. And that is this. Each and every one of you has gifts that you are not to hide under a bushel, but are to use for the saving of the world. Now this message is not meant to bounce off of you and land on the person in the pew behind you. It is meant to steep into exactly and specifically you. And you know, it must get tiring for some of you to hear this or similar messages from the pulpit or from the scriptures week after week. It sure does for me sometimes. The saving of the world? Can't I just go to Paris again and let someone else do the saving? (laughs) But I can promise you this. Hearing God's call to help others will immediately become less tiring when we actually get off our duff and get to work. After all, the scriptures and the sermons here mean nothing if you don't follow them up with action. Scriptures are a good read, and sermons are maybe 10 minutes of entertainment from the pulpit on a good day. (laughs) But today's message we have is really simple. Get to work. When you do, a different kind of tired may hit you, but it will be the deep tired of a job well done. From today's gospel lesson in Matthew, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. From Isaiah chapter 58, Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. 
If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. This sermon practically preaches itself if you'll just listen to these words from Scripture. God is always on the side of the oppressed. Always. It's a message that we as a nation need to hear. And many of us individually too. But it's a hard lesson. How much more pleasant it would be to skip church every once in a while and not have to hear these words week in and week out and simply live for our own needs and those of our loved ones. But as I've said before, that is not following Christ. Love is following Christ. And there's really no way out of it. I, it's either embrace your faith or reject your faith. And which one of those two you choose, embracing or rejecting your faith, will be evident in your words and in your actions. So here are a few quotes from my files that I have collected over the years that might elucidate this hard yet joyful message I am trying to convey. From Phillips Brooks, rector of Trinity Church, Boston, and bishop of Massachusetts in the 1800s. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself, at the richness of life which has come in you by the grace of God. From Simone Weil, a secular Jewish writer who converted to Christianity. If there is a God, it is not an insignificant fact, but something that requires a radical rethinking of every little thing. Your knowledge of God can't be considered as one fact among many. You have to bring all the other facts into line with the fact of God. From Peter Gomes, former professor of Christian morals at Harvard University. The question should not be, what would Jesus do? But rather, more dangerously, what would Jesus have me do? The onus is not on Jesus, but on us. For Jesus did not come to ask semi-divine human beings to do impossible things. He came to ask human beings to live up to their full humanity. He wants us to live in the full implication of our human gifts. And that is far more demanding. Finally, from a story about a Nepali teen rescued from the rubble of the April 2015 earthquake in Nepal. Beneath the twisted iron rods, chunks of concrete, and torn blankets, a slight 15-year-old boy, Pemba Lama, had announced to the world that he was alive. He cried for help, but it was very difficult to make access to him, said Laxman Bahadur Basnet, 
the Nepalese police officer who first made contact with the boy. All the while, Bosnet talked to the teen. When enough rubble, including a motorbike, had been cleared to allow him to crawl toward Pemba, Bosnet said, the boy began softly singing to him, you are a god who has come to try to save me. You are a god who has come to try to save me. Somewhere in this world, there is someone waiting to sing that song to you. For it is to this saving that we are called. Stop hiding your light under a bushel. Let it break forth like the dawn. Stop opting for comfort. The next time the outreach team puts out a call for volunteers to do a service project, stop sitting on your hands and sign up. No more excuses. May God bless us all with strength and joy for the work ahead. Amen.